Hi, I'm Bruce Weinstein, and this is the podcast Cooking with Bruce and Mark. And I'm Mark Scarborough, and together with Bruce, we have written over 35 cookbooks. It's hard to even imagine. It started with the ultimate ice cream book. It went through the ultimate candy book and the ultimate party drink book. You know you need that. The <laughs> ultimate party drink book. And it has ended up at a series of Instant Pot and Air Fryer books. But this is our podcast, not about any of those, but instead a magazine format podcast in which Today, we're talking about food theft. Yes, you heard that right. Food theft. We have our patented one-minute cooking tip. Bruce has got an interview with a culinary icon. I'm holding it in abeyance (laughs) as a suspense for who it is. And our last segment, as always, what's making us happy in food this week. So let's start it off. What food Theft. Well, I'm talking about weird things you never imagined that people would steal, like oysters right off the oyster farm. <laughs> okay, no, I I can imagine it. If you know, they always say, "What would be your last meal?" As if you know, you, you're dying and you know you want to eat. Like, yeah, right, sure. But what would be my last meal? Are oysters on the mm. <laughs> oysters on the half shell and beef tartare? My whole last meal would be raw food. Well, what makes this story so great on. and so interesting is so it was a French oyster farm a couple of years ago. Oh and, no, I'm and, sorry, it's a French yes. farm de huître, and they stole six thousand pounds of oysters. Six so thousand pounds. That's three tons. That's three tons of oysters. So here's what happens. So the farmer, the oyster farmer, rather than calling the police or putting in a security system, decided they would do it themselves to try and find out who this did, right? So they, they opened up some oyster shells and they put notes inside that oh. said, if you find this note, call this number and you'll get a lifetime supply of oysters. And they closed them back up and just put them back in the water with all the other oysters. And... People actually call to get there. Wait, so this was an ongoing theft yeah. situation. You can't have put those notes in no, before no. the theft. No, no. Once oysters started disappearing, the guy decided, let's put notes inside. Okay, now I'm getting it. So they didn't steal 6,000 pounds at once. Because I'm trying to picture 6,000 <laughs> pounds in hefty bags being hauled <laughs> up out of the water. So they, but over time, yep. 6,000 pounds had yep. been stolen. In order to stop that sale, this this oyster farmer, there are such things in France. Yeah, they put notes inside some empty oyster shells that said, if you find this note, call me and I'll give you a lifetime supply of oysters. And so when they people called, he was able to say, where did you buy your oyster? And if it wasn't a place that he was selling oysters to, then he knew that those people had gotten it illegally. Interesting. And he was able to track it down and oyster thefts in the Languedoc region plummeted after that. Wow. So this guy knew that he was being scammed and he took it into his own hands. He says, listen, you can't, there are no oyster collies. There's no dogs <laughs> to prevent oyster Newfoundlands. There's no dogs necessarily to pre- prevent this kind of theft the way there are for sheep and goats. So you, maybe piranha. It's yeah. Sort of like it's some piranha. Interesting. There. And you know, I suppose you could, I'm just teasing this out. I suppose you could get on mask and goggles and actually dive and steal oysters, especially the ones that are farmed, that are grown yeah. on lines. You could just snip the lines. Grab the whole bag. I think they start them in bags, right? Yeah, I guess grab you can the do bag that and swim too. off with it. Yeah, interesting. An interesting idea to steal oysters. I may incorporate it into my usual repertoire. <laughs> Of hijinks. Um, anyway, but oysters aren't the only thing. What else? Have, what else have people stolen? Uh, well, apparently, authorities in California have stopped the theft and fencing of over three hundred thousand U.S. dollars worth of 
Yes, pistachios, which I believe I ate that many last year. <laughs> I love pistachios okay. more than and I And that was all say. in one go. So unlike the oysters, that was $300,000 worth of pistachios in one okay. go. Now, I wonder, here's the question, since you came up with this story. Mm-hmm. Is that 300000 market dollars or 300000 <laughs> wholesale. wholesale dollars? My guess is it was wholesale. Oh, oh my gosh. Because that- what they did is the thieves... They they got a truck that looked like a legitimate you know truck from the trucking company, and they this picked sounds up like Wiley Coyote and they picked the up, Acme's pistachio <laughs> truck and they picked up the nuts that were in trailers and then they okay. drove them to an abandoned property to repackage You're them. Sure, an anvil didn't fall. Off. I'm sure, but but what happened was they don't watch enough crime and drama TV because. Of course, the nut trailers were equipped with GPS trackers because the farmers want to know where their nuts are. And they found their nuts, and they were stolen, and they got them back. It's so. good that they found their nuts. It, <laughs> it, that, that is an amazing thing. And what also amazes me is if you're going to crime – so you can end a crime. Please leave your cell phone at home because your cell phone is tracking you. <laughs> come on, leave it at home because you, you, if you're going to come to my house and break in and steal all my stuff, don't bring your cell phone with you because then... Gonna... Well, please bring your cell phone with you because I want to be able to track you. <laughs> true, true that. So, you know, you don't need to selfie your theft. So uh, leave it at home. Okay, so according to Time Magazine, believe this or not, cheese is the most stolen food product globally and i can believe it because a you know outside of pre-packaged shredded cheese real cheese honest cheese um cowgirl creamery tam meal whatever it is cheese honest cheese at poise is expensive oh jesus cheese is root good cheese is routinely 20 dollars plus a pound yeah. it goes up to 40 50 yeah. a pound yeah and there's an organization that, it's not tam hill it's mount tam, mount tam. And, and when i buy those those rounds those tomes of cowgirl creamery mount tam those sometimes those are 20 22 bucks yeah. well there's an organization the global retail theft barometer and checkpoint systems oh. and they claim that, that cheese sounds like something that is very scary it sounds like <laughs> something out of 1984 <laughs> the novel global retail theft barometer and checkpoint system well wow. they say cheese falls under the so-called craved items craved concealable removable available valuable enjoyable and disposable oh that oh, what idiot <laughs> came up with that the c plus marketing major oh, craved same one that came item. up that's the same one that came up with the cheetos lip balm conceivable removable available valuable enjoyable disposable that is so Corny. Okay, anyway, yes, but I can believe that cheese is a super craved Oh, my God. $70,000 worth of cheese was stolen from Germantown, Wisconsin. Wow, that's not even Mount Tam. 10,000 pounds of Comte was stolen in France. I could steal 10,000 pounds of Comte. And the largest cheese theft ever was in Italy. $875,000 worth of Parmesan cheese. Well, and again, real Parmigiano-Reggiano is expensive. Uh, You know that the pre-graded stuff that comes in cans is often, A, an oil product. Or wood pulp. And wood pulp. It's both together. I just read a... um, uh, biography of Magellan, believe it or not, and going around the world. And, you know, I mean, they had no idea how big the Pacific was. So they packed enough food for a couple months, not knowing they were going to sail around through what are now the Straits of Magellan, South America, and then on across the gigantic Pacific Ocean. And they didn't 
So by the end, by the time they finally got to the Philippines, they were shaving wood pulp off the wood of the ship and adding it to the remaining gruel to try to fill it out. And that's what that's part of what the men were eating. That's good. Eat your ship. Eat your <laughs> got to the Philippines. Magellan didn't get much farther, but they did get to the Philippines. Okay, anyway, yes, I can believe it because, um, you know, real Primigiano Reggiano mm. is expensive. It I mean, is. it's worth it, but it it's is. expensive. So closer to home, we got food theft going on all the time, right? Coworker lunch food theft. Oh, This is not just the stuff the of sitcoms. Thing. It's not just a funny gag on the office. People really do eat each other's food at the I, office. I know. Okay, now, I'm going to tell you something, and this is a, this is something that is kind of wild, but I am 61 years old. Uh, now I'm telling you that. That's <laughs> wild enough. I am 61 years old, and I have never really worked in an office. I was an academic, and then I was a writer. So the whole corporate life is lost on me. However... The English department didn't have a refrigerator no. somewhere? No. Oh, well, who knows? You're there two hours a week. <laughs> who knows if it does or it probably does. I Probably the administrative assistants used in a refrigerator, but I wouldn't know about it. So you're there for office hours and to teach, and then you go home and sit and watch TV all day like every other academic. So I'm just kidding. Don't at me if you're an <laughs> academic. Um, so, so the question so is – So I don't know about this stuff about office culture, but I do understand that food theft is a thing, and it's so much of a thing – that a product has been made to stop it. Yep. How do you stop someone from eating your sandwich? You buy fake mold sandwich bags. This is so wild to me. Okay, explain what that so means. So these are lunch bags that make your sandwiches look like a science experiment because on the plastic is printed green and gray and black blobs. So when your sandwich is in there, it makes the bread look like it's moldy. Okay, you can find these if you just look on Amazon. You can Google these. Mm -hmm. Believe it or not, they're a thing. Mm -hmm. And you can make, I don't know, your leftover chicken stir fry that you've put in a plastic bag for lunch look as if it is the most disgusting, fuzzy grossness that you can possibly imagine. This is the wildest thing that Fake I can imagine. Mold food bags. This is the way to stop personal food theft. It could even work with your own kids, <laughs> right? If you had... <laughs> Sick of your kids eating everything the minute you get it home for the supermarket? Shove it all in moldy bags and <laughs> shove it all in the refrigerator. I mean, it, I suppose it could work. It could work against husbands and wives, too. I, my, um, by the way, we also have a divorce practice that we run on the side. So if you need help with that, just contact us. Okay, before we get to our one-minute cooking it's it's just a beautiful business plan to have a divorce practice and cooking at the same time. Before we get to our one-minute cooking tip, uh, can we say that you should subscribe to this podcast? We would mm -hmm. love that. And wherever mm -hmm. you are listening to this, um, whatever platform you're on, darn you, Spotify, please drop a comment or a like. We could really use it, and we would really appreciate it. And where else can you find us, Bruce? You can come to Facebook. We have a group called Cooking with Bruce and Mark. You could join the group. I post videos. We have contests. We do all sorts of fun stuff. So come to Facebook, Cooking with Bruce and Mark. Okay, next up, our one-minute cooking tip. And Bruce, take it away. A damp paper towel under a cutting board will keep it from slipping and sliding while you work. Uh, this is absolutely true. Now, I want to tell you that uh, this is Mark. I'm the writer of our duo. Bruce is the chef. And I didn't know this until Bruce and I started filming 
cooking videos and going on sets, even like the Today Show and The View, and doing cooking segments on TV and for Craftsy and others. And they always put a damp, single-layer paper towel under a cutting board to keep it from getting away from you. They do. It is kind of an amazing thing. And also, may I say, when you pick your cooking board up, if, like me, you're a slob, (laughs) and you've slobbed a bit over the edges of your cooking board, there's a damp paper towel right there. You can just wipe it (laughs) straight up. It's really super convenient. Okay, next up, the interview with a culinary icon. I don't know if she wants to be called an icon, but she is Grace Young. Bruce is interviewing Grace Young, the doyen of all things to do with the walk, the the U.S., I don't know what, the U.S. icon. The ambassador to Chinese cooking, to stir-frying. Chinatown and stir-frying and her work supporting Chinese locally owned restaurants as well as her fabulous work teaching U.S. citizens and North Americans everywhere how to stir fry better. I am honored today to be speaking with Grace Young, the award-winning cookbook author of The Amazing Stir Frying to the Sky's Edge and Breath of a Walk. Grace has devoted much of her career to preserving the traditional iron walk and she was the first food writer to write extensively about wok hay, the Cantonese term for stir fry that possesses wok fragrance and flavor. We're going to talk about that. Hi, Grace. Welcome. Thank you, Bruce. It's a, a total pleasure to be here. Let's start with some wok basics. A wok is a cooking vessel, but it's not just for stir frying, is it? No. Um, it's it's funny because a lot of people call the wok a stir fry pan. And of course, that's what it's most commonly used for. But you can do so many things with a wok. You can steam, boil, uh, poach, braise, pan fry, deep fat fry. Um, you can smoke with your wok. Um, I've used it for roasting chicken, roasting vegetables. I use it for cooking bacon, uh, making popcorn. I don't use, I don't limit it just to Chinese or Asian cooking. A wok can cross all culinary borders. So you roast a chicken. Do you actually put the wok in the oven then? Yes. And uh, this is a spatchcock chicken. The wok that I use for that has wood handles. So I put uh, sopping wet washcloths on the handles, and then I wrap them in aluminum foil so that the wood doesn't burn. I'm not even going to ask you about nonstick woks, because we all know you should never heat nonstick cookware above the temperatures you really need to do to do incredible wok cooking, unless you think there's something good about a nonstick wok. No. In fact, I I consider an iron wok, which would be carbon steel or cast iron, to be actually, we should rename it ancient natural nonstick cookware. And so I see no need for using chemicals, which I think are really actually quite dangerous because eventually the uh, surface gets removed from the spatula. And where does that nonstick coating go, but into our food? I I just feel that iron is natural. It's good for us. There's a a nutritional benefit from cooking with iron cookware in that uh, when you're cooking, the heat transfers the iron into your food And it's a wonderful way of getting iron in your diet. 
So I know a lot of people, they'll get put off by the work involved in maintaining an iron walk. And how do you convince people that it's both not as hard as they think and also really worth the effort? So it's, it's not any work at all. It's just, it's a mind thing. We have this idea in our mind that it's hard, I think. In fact, when you wash a carbon steel or cast iron walk, it's just the way you, you wash a cast iron skillet, right? It's even simpler. You don't even need to use soap. <laughs> I just use a sponge, wash it with hot water, remove any food debris, and put it back on the stove to heat on low to medium low heat until all the water is evaporated. Sometimes an iron wok can get rusty and that freaks people out, but the rust is very easy to remove. I do what I call a wok facial, and that is to heat the wok until it just starts to smoke a little bit, teeny, teeny bit. And then I turn off the heat and then I add about a tablespoon of salt. And then I add half as much vegetable oil. And then I fold two or three paper towels into a very, very thick wad. It has to be very thick because the wok has been heated. So it's hot and hot salt is super dangerous. And then what you do is you take this thick pad of paper towel and then just buff the wok with the salt oil mixture all around the wok. And you'll see that the back of the paper towel actually turns brown. It, if there's any rust or any dirt, the paper towel shows it. The salt is abrasive that is removing the rust or any food debris that's still stuck on the wok. And the oil is sort of rejuvenating it. So because the salt alone would dry out the wok. And then you remove all the salt and oil, brush it out. And then I rinse it in hot water and make sure all the salt is gone and then dry it on the stove again. You don't oil it again before you store the wok? No, I don't. There are some people that do it. You could rub a half a teaspoon of oil and then I would heat it on low heat, maybe for a minute, just to make sure that oil burns into the wok. But the reason why I don't advise people to do it is because if you don't cook with your wok a lot, that oil will become rancid. So if you don't cook with your wok for another like two weeks or a month, it could have that rancid oil smell. And I just hate that. I want to talk about wok hay. You coined it first in your writing. Can you explain exactly what wok hay is? So my father was obsessed with wok hay. In my family is Cantonese. And in Cantonese, the word for wok is wok. And hay is the same same as chi in Mandarin. And so you may know the word chi as in Tai Chi. Chi is our life force, right? It's the mojo. So throughout China, everybody stir fries, but the Cantonese are considered the great masters. In Canton, our Guangdong, which is what it's called now um, in Mandarin, the weather is hot year round. And so it's sort of like Florida weather. So you don't want to be standing behind the stove cooking for hours for a braise or a stew or something that requires a lot of attention because it's so hot. And so that's why you want to do a stir fry because the cooking time can be as little as two or three minutes. So when you've done a great stir fry, you've cooked with super fresh ingredients so that the high heat and the quick cooking 
just punches up the flavors. So you don't need actually a lot of seasoning at all. And the high heat actually infuses into the food a charred fragrance and flavor that is so unique and wonderful. I always say to people, it's like food right off the barbecue grill, right? You've just grilled a steak. And when you pull it off the grill in that first minute, there's a charred essence and intensity of flavor that is like nothing else. And then if you ate the steak three minutes later, it's still delicious and tasty, but it's lost its life force. It's lost its chi, its hay. And so it's good, but it's not as wonderful as it was when it came right off the grill. And that's what wok hay is. You talked about that resulting from using the wok over a very high heat. How do you handle that as a home cook when your stove can only produce a certain amount of BTUs, which is probably fewer than what you can get in a Chinese restaurant where they have big jet burners? A Chinese restaurant burner in America, the BTUs could be 90,000 and it could be as much as maybe... I think it can go up to 150,000. I've been to Hong Kong and China where the BTU power is something like, I don't know, 200,000 BTUs. And when you walk into these kitchens, when they turn on the stove, it sounds like a airplane jet. So yes, a home stove sometimes can be as little as like 9,000, 10,000 BTUs. These days, most stoves have a burner that's like 12,000 BTUs. But I think people get overly focused on needing to have a hot walk. And a hot walk is important, but equally important for creating wok hay is the ingredients have to be super fresh. So this high heat, quick cooking is about punching up flavors. So if you're cooking... Uh, asparagus in December when it's out of season. No matter how hot your wok is, there is no flavor to punch up. It's pointless stir frying a vegetable that is out of season. Uh, People ask me if you can stir fry frozen vegetables. No, never ever stir fry frozen vegetables. The quality of your ingredients is really, really important. But I just want to remind everyone that you can overheat the wok and that's dangerous. I actually give people a way to judge whether or not their wok is hot enough. I say heat it on high heat until you can flick a drop of water in the wok and it evaporates within a second, like immediately upon upon contact to the metal. So even if you have an ordinary stove, you can get that wok super hot. But the other thing that's really important is that you limit how much food you stir fry. I've seen so many recipes where people call for two pounds of chicken. No, 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 no. You put two pounds of chicken into a wok, you will take down the temperature of the wok, cool it down, and it turns your stir fry into a brace. I've analyzed that the most you can stir fry is a pound of sliced chicken. The most you can cook a 
pork or lamb is one pound. Shrimp, scallops, the most, one pound. And for whatever reason, you can only stir fry three quarters of a pound or 12 ounces of beef. I've tried stir frying 13 ounces of beef, 14 ounces. And what happens is instead of it browning, it actually starts to get gray and foamy and it won't brown. So you can only stir fry beef in small batches. And all of this I'm referring to is when I, I'm cooking, I'm always using a 14 inch wok. If you stir fry with a 12 inch wok, you wouldn't be able to even stir fry one pound of chicken because you're crowding the wok. I think most people that get disappointed are, you're right, they're trying to cook too much. I think from an American standpoint, people are looking at you know, one stir fry dish to feed their family of six. This is a very good point. If you're cooking for more than a few people, you need to make the recipe twice. And people are reluctant, like, oh, what do you mean? Like, why can't I make it all in one walk? But uh, if you put too much food into the walk, you take down the temperature and your stir fry becomes a braise. And the other really important um, point is, it's not just about your meat protein, your vegetables. I see so many recipes that call for way too many vegetables, or they don't tell you that the vegetables need to be dry. I've seen so many recipes that call for adding wet spinach. You add wet spinach into a wok, you'll hear this crackling sound, and then your wok will go silent. And when your wok goes silent, it means you have actually killed the life force in that wok. So the vegetables need to be dry to the touch. My mother used to wash her vegetables in the morning and put them into a colander, shake it out, and then she'd leave for work. And by the time she came home, maybe sometimes the vegetables looked a little limp, but they stir fried perfectly. I want to circle back to one of the things we talked about earlier about wok hay and how you have wok hay as soon as the food is ready. And even three minutes later, it doesn't have that anymore. That is such a call to action to go to your restaurant, eat out, don't order it in. Thank you so much for saying that. Uh, since the beginning of the pandemic, it's really heartbreaking. I was here in New York City and Chinatown just emptied out. And it's because of the rhetoric of calling it the China virus. But people were afraid to come to Chinatown. This poor community, not just in New York, but in San Francisco, Boston, Chicago, Chinatowns all across the United States, uh, were unfairly blamed for being the cause of the coronavirus. 2020 was just a heartbreaking year for me to witness. And so I have been trying to do my best to protect Chinatowns, but also AAPI, Asian American Pacific Islander, um, mom and pop businesses all across the United States are suffering. And so I've partnered with the James Beard Foundation and Poster House Museum to start a social media campaign that we're calling hashtag love AAPI. And we ask people to do a post, do a video, of your favorite dish from your favorite restaurant. It, can, it doesn't have to be Chinese. It could be your favorite Thai, Vietnamese. The most important thing is to post about a business that you love, whether it's a restaurant, a store, a market, and share why you love it and use the hashtag love, A-A-P-I, because I think the best way to fight the hate 
is to show love for these poor mom and pop businesses that have been battered um, for the last two years. Yes, we need to we need to see some change. And I hope I hope that that is coming. But for everyone that is now trying to cook Chinese food at home, you now have the understanding of how to use the most amazing and versatile tool ever, thanks to Grace Young, the award-winning cookbook author of Stir Frying to the Sky's Edge and Breath of a Walk. Grace, I can't thank you enough for sharing all of that with us today. Oh, it's been a total pleasure and an honor to be invited to be on your show. Thank you so much. You know how we have said that we have actually done interviews that up the cooking game. For example, our interviews last year with the pizza mavens that we had on actually up the pizza game. I think these are ways to up the stir fry game all the way around. It's so great that Grace Young came on our show. Thanks, Grace, for doing that. Up next, our final and always final segment, what's making us happy in food this week and what's making you happy in food this week? What's making me happy in food this week is really simple. It's our glass bottled soda stream. I love making my own seltzer and it finally took me years. We are not sponsored by soda stream. No, we're not. But it finally took me years to listen to everybody and stop buying the cans and the bottles of seltzer. When he means listen to everybody, he means listen to me. But go on. And so now we got the soda stream, but I didn't want those plastic bottles because most of the soda streams have plastic bottles. And if I'm putting them on the table at dinner, I didn't want plastic bottles there. Right. So then I found the soda stream has these beautiful glass carafes. And yep. so I bought the soda stream maker that uses the glass carafes. And I have to say, they make me very happy. They do. They make really good soda. The, I love the way the lids screw on super tight to keep the bubbles inside, to keep the pressure inside. And they make excellent soda. I mean, and it's so super easy during a dinner party just to fill another one and make another bottle of soda without any plastic waste, he says in his most scolding voice. What's making me happy in food this week is creme fraiche ice cream. <laughs> I love creme fraiche ice cream. Why that make me cream. laugh? I don't know. Um, here's the story. Let me tell you the whole story. So, Bruce, we had uh, people over for dinner. Yes, we COVID tested. Yes, we sent each other pictures of our COVID tests. Yes, we're all vaccinated and even boosted. We, one couple had to back out. Another couple was able to come. We had them over and Bruce made a dessert that involved creme anglaise. So, okay, great, fine. He made he made a dessert that involved creme anglaise. We had a lot of creme anglaise left over because Bruce had made so much for six people and now there were only four. He mixed that creme anglaise with creme fraiche and heavy cream and put it in an ice cream maker and I've been eating creme fraiche ice cream. It's so delicious. <laughs> Slightly tangy, deliciously vanilla. Oh man, creme fraiche ice cream is the best in the middle of the winter. Yes, I'm eating ice cream. So that's our show for this week and that's what's making us happy in food this week. So join us for more episodes of Cooking with Bruce and Mark. And if you subscribe, you won't miss a single one. And if you love what we do, check out one of our cookbooks like Ham, An Obsession with the Hind Quarter, or one of my favorite books that we wrote, The Kitchen Shortcut Bible, all kinds of tips and tricks to make your time in the kitchen shorter. See you next time. <laughs>